a place that's close to our heart because our grandson last year um, had a short-term mission trip there in uh, Nepal. And of course, there's fatalities, over 2,000 fatalities there, uh, fatalities in India, Pakistan, just in that whole region. And if if you're looking for something to pray for, pray that the Christians will rise up to the occasion and be testimonies for the Lord in in serving and caring and and ministering to those people. And speaking of prayer, I want to piggyback on something Duell said. He talked about family members that uh, maybe have fallen for some strongholds of Satan in their life. And one of the benefits of the series that I'm doing right now is that not only can we look at ourselves and see where we have strongholds of Satan that are influencing us in a negative way and robbing us of God's blessing, but we also are going to get some very specific prayer requests that we can pray for family members and friends who are also ensnared by Satan. And uh, I'm going to give you four specific ones today. And then starting next week, we're going to start looking at individual strongholds of Satan. Um, I think there's 35 lies we're going to look at next week in uh, a spirit of control. And uh, then each week, there's just going to be, going to end up being hundreds of specific lies that we can identify. We can pray against each one of those lies in our life and in the lives of our friends and family members. And then... Um, we can then pray the corresponding truth that goes with each lie that they might see that from God. So, very practical, both for ourselves as well as for others. This Sunday, right now, we're going to start applying our authority that we have in Christ. We're going to look at some principles on how to apply our authority against the principalities and power of Satan And then in the months of May and June, we're going to be looking at very specific areas where Satan might have strongholds in our life. Some of the strongholds of Satan we're going to cover are a spirit of anger, a critical spirit, an independent spirit, a controlling spirit, a spirit of unforgiveness, a spirit of inferiority, And by inferiority, I mean believing that we have less value than God says we have. We're going to look at a spirit of of the harm of the past and how we can let go of it. In each of these areas, we're going to examine the symptoms. We're going to examine the causes. We're going to examine the consequences. And then we're going to examine the biblical cure for each one of them. I want us to look today at how to apply our authority, and I want to look at some fighting words. Okay, you ready for some fighting words this morning? Here we go. Okay, John 10.10. Let's get to know our enemy, shall we? John 10.10 says this. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
I have come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Satan is a thief. Them's fighting words. Okay? He doesn't like it when we call him what he really is, but he is a thief. What does he want to rob us of? He wants to rob us of the abundant life. Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Satan has come as a thief to rob that very thing from us. So what, what are some of these things of the abundant life that he wants to take from us? Well, Galatians 5, and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. This part of the abundant life that God has for us, these are the things that Satan wants to steal because he's a thief. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Every one of Satan's lies are the opposite are up in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. The lies that he is going to tell you and me are going to be lies that are going to be absolutely contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. And every time that we allow Satan a foothold into our life, we are losing something. We're losing the fruit of the Spirit. Satan is a thief. Satan is a liar. And therefore, if we are not experiencing all the fruit of the Spirit in our life, then it would be good for us to look and see if we have bought into one of the lies of Satan, or maybe more than one of the lies, because Satan steals those from us, the abundant life that God has for us. Ours is the victory. Satan does not have power over us unless we let him. Go to Romans 16, 19. Romans 16, 19. A lot of people read this verse wrong. We're going to read it right today, okay? Romans 16, 19 and 20. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Notice whose feet is Satan crushed under? You may answer. (laughs) Ours. Okay, Satan is going to, you look like, does he really want me to say something here or are we supposed to be listening? Uh, Satan is going to be crushed under our feet. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.25. Do we have a contradiction here? 1 Corinthians 15.25. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. Whose feet? His feet. feet. You learn well, don't you? (laughs) All right. Okay. 
So are the enemies of Christ, Satan being the chief one, are they, are they crushed under his feet or our feet? And the answer is yes. <laughs> okay. Christ is using us to defeat Satan. So his is the ultimate victory. We get the opportunity to be a part of it. God is more powerful than Satan. And because he is our God and has given us his authority and his power, we are more powerful than Satan as well. Look at Romans 16.20. I feel like a lawyer building a case here this morning. Okay? Romans 16.20. Look at the part of the verse that says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Again, how is it possible that we have the power to crush Satan under our feet? Some Christians, well, let me put it this way. Christians disagree over this, okay? How do we do this? Some people think that we have to work up some kind of an emotional experience and, and then we, we command Satan to be crushed or, or whatever. Ephesians 6.10, to me, is the key to understanding how this is done. And we don't need to build up some kind of great emotional experience. We don't have to, 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 to make a big scene. Uh, Pastor Cody used to talk about this. We just simply exercise the power that God has given us. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not my power that crushes Satan, but rather it is God's power working through me. So many times we look at circumstances through our, our human eyes and the result is we focus on our inability. God wants us to look at our circumstances through his eyes, focusing on his ability. So if we're going to just be focusing on our inability, we're going to go, oh, we can't do that, you know, uh, and I'm going to give you a whole list of excuses in the next seven weeks that we use to, to keep from acknowledging uh, that we're believing lies of Satan. We're to walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. Okay. We do it by faith in the word of God and what God has told us that we can do. 1 John 4, 4. Let's go over there. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Christ lives in us through the, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, notice he calls us little children, and then he says we're greater than the world. That, that, that seems kind of opposite, doesn't it? 
But he's reminding us of two things. Number one, we do not have the power to do it ourselves. We are little children. Number two, he's saying, but my power is greater than anything in the world. And that would include Satan. So many times we limit God because we see our own weakness. And we are weak. And we need to see our weakness. That's an important part. But then along with our weakness... We need to see the power of God. Many times I think we kind of handcuff the Holy Spirit because we don't go to God for the power that he has given us to overcome the lies of Satan in our life. Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite all-time Bible verses because it it applies to so many situations. Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. How big is that power? It's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. That's big, okay? We can do so much according to the power at work within us. Luke one thirty seven. Luke one thirty seven. For with God nothing will be impossible. Now let's understand the verse. Okay? It's not talking about that we can do anything we put our mind to do. You know, it's graduation time coming up. And all over the country valedictorians are going to get up and say, you are the captain of your fate. You can go out and accomplish anything you want to do. Baloney. That's not true at all. Okay? It sounds good and people feel good and it's a warm and fuzzy and all of that. Okay? With God, nothing is impossible. When we're doing what God wants us to do, there's nothing that is impossible for us to do. When we exercise the authority and power that's been given to us, Satan is defeated. He's disarmed. He's powerless against us. Tony Evans, just one of my favorite writers, says, if you're doing kingdom business as a kingdom Christian, living a kingdom life, you have kingdom authority. I like that. Satan is defeated. But yet he still roams the earth seeking to maim and steal and destroy whatever he can. The Bible says we're not to be ignorant of his devices, his schemes. Okay? What are some of Satan's weapons? Let let me just list off a few of them. Unbelief. Fear, intimidation, idolatry, the Bible says, is used of Satan to gain footholds in a life. Rebellion, lies, deception, disobedience to the truth, immorality. And I think we can even build a case for for drugs and the occult be used of Satan to build strongholds. 
So is Satan defeated or isn't he? Well, let me give you an illustration from football. Let's say you have a football game going on, and there's five minutes left in the game, and your team is ahead by 52 points. Okay? For all intents and purposes, the game is over, right? You know, it's not, you know... <laughs> I heard that. But you know what? You still need to play the last five minutes of the game. And in fact, you'd better stay alert because you can still get hurt if you aren't paying attention in the last five minutes of the game. You know, we have victory over Satan. The Bible is very clear about that. But we can still get hurt if we are ignorant of his devices. You know, we need to call Satan's bluff. He, he, he must do all of his work by deception and intimidation. He deceives many Christians, persuading us to believe that we have no authority. Next week, we're going to start off with one of the lies of Satan, uh, and we'll see it kind of common through all the different lies we're going to look at, is that we say, well... You know, it's, 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 not, it's not really a lie of Satan. It's, it's just the way I am. Okay, that's one of the ways he deceives us. By getting us to believe that, well, it's, that's just my personality trait. You know, I'm Irish, and you know how we Irish are, you know. Or I'm not Irish, okay. Um, but I didn't want to knock the Germans, okay. Uh, You know, he deceives us into believing that we're helpless prisoners of our circumstances. We're prisoners of our past. We're prisoners of the sin in our life. The Bible says we've been raised with Christ. We're seated in the spiritual realm. We are in the position to demand the return of the territory that has been stolen by Satan. And we can claim that. And them's fighting words, okay? We can reclaim what we have lost to Satan. It doesn't matter our genetics. It doesn't matter our environment. It doesn't matter our history. We can reclaim all of the territory that we have lost to Satan. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. This passage is kind of going to be kind of our theme passage for the next seven weeks. We're going to look at it every single week to remind ourselves what we're doing. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's what we're talking about, pulling down strongholds. We are empowered to tear down the strongholds of Satan in our life. Now, let's get real practical. How do we do that? That's always, when I'm listening to a speech and they're talking about what, 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 and I'm going, tell me how, 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 you know, when my doctor says, Cal, you need to lose weight, thanks for the what, but tell me how, okay? Well, we're gonna, let's get to, to the how. I want us to look at four steps 
for removing strongholds, and these are, we're going to apply these every single week for the next six, seven weeks, however long I'm up here. So you're going to want to keep these four steps in your mind. Now, each step involves prayer and the Word of God. So we need to remember that. All four steps are going to involve prayer and the Word of God. And to make it really simple and easy to remember, they all begin with the letter R. Okay? So, here we go. Four steps to removing strongholds. Number one, recognize the strongholds in your life. Satan is very subtle. When, when Satan comes and tempts us, he doesn't come and say, okay, let's do this really bad, wicked, evil thing. Because he knows we got our little feelers up, you know, and we wouldn't do that. He comes very subtly. You know, in the next several sermons, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time exposing the lies in regard to the stronghold. 35 of them next week on the spirit of control. We're going to spend time because they're so subtle we don't recognize them. In a, in a previous church I pastored, I, I assigned individuals to start looking for strongholds in their lives. Here's where I'm debating if I should do something or not. Should I? Do it? Okay, there you go. How many of you think that there's satanic strongholds in your life? Raise your hand. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Good. We have an honest church here. Uh, when I asked people to start looking for strongholds of Satan, people came back to me and, and said, my list is huge. <laughs> it's so much bigger. I thought maybe one or two. But, you know, as we start going through 100 and 200, you know, lies of Satan, all of a sudden the list just got humongous. Most of the lies of Satan, they said, they had never seen before as being lies. They never recognized them as lies before. So here's where prayer and the Word come in. Number one, pray for God to reveal lies to you. Pray for God to... Re and then get in the Word of God and let God lead you in His Word to show you the lies or to show you the truth that's going to point out the lies of Satan. Have a notebook handy. Start recording them. Start making your list. Keep praying. Keep seeking to recognize the strongholds of Satan. Look for, for truth that's contrary to what you believe. Look for a verse, oh, let's say, just for instance, for instance um, be anxious for nothing. You know what that means? Don't worry about anything. Okay? So, if we're worrying about something, then that means that Satan has got a lie in there somewhere. Because he's robbed us from the blessing that God has for us. So just look for those verses and go, oh, okay, you know, that's, I don't see that happening in my life, you know. So, okay. Psalm 139, 
23, David said this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Allow God to point out to you anything that's not from him. You know, don't... Sounds like I'm going to beat my own drum here, but folks, don't miss a Sunday for the next two months or listen to it on the, the Internet if you have to. Okay? Uh, I am literally, again, planning on sharing hundreds of lies the first thing we have to do is recognize the lie. And you know, that's easier said than done. To recognize it as a lie. Number two, first is recognize. Number two, take responsibility. Take responsibility. When, when David said, search me, O God, the context goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Nathan's confronting David. He says, For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He recognized it as sin. He called it sin. I don't know if any of you have heard of a Christian psychologist called Carl Menninger. Anybody? He wrote a book back in 1973, and the title of the book was Whatever Became of Sin. And the, the premise of his book is that we have taken sin and we have renamed it. We don't call it sin. We call it things like weaknesses. We call them failings. We call them personality traits. We'll call them anything but what God calls them, and God calls it sin. We need to take responsibility for our sin, and we need to call them sins. God does. Why shouldn't we? Yeah. Again, this needs to be a topic of prayer and the Word of God. We need to get into the Word of God and see what God calls sin. Again, the Bible says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So, if I come across that verse in my Bible reading, and I look at my life, and I say, okay, what is going on in my life that is not an evidence of faith? In fact, what might be the opposite of faith in my life? And then call it sin. Worry is sin. Insecurity is sin. Controlling is sin. We, we need to take responsibility and call it what it is. Whenever we've believed the lie of Satan, we have not believed God's truth. So, first, recognize the strongholds. Number two, take responsibility, for we are the ones who have allowed them into our life. Okay? Number three, repent. Repent. Now, repent is an old-fashioned word. And when a lot of people think of the word repent, they think of, of a great emotional outburst. I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't... And that's not at all what the word repent means. It doesn't mean to feel guilty. 
It doesn't mean to have a big emotional experience. The Bible, in the Bible, the word repent means this, to change your mind, to change your mind. If I allow Satan to put a lie in my life, a sin that I'm, I'm buying into, I need to change my mind about that sin. If, if I am living my life saying it's okay for me to be controlling, I need to say it's not okay for me to be controlling. I need to change my mind about that. How do we know we've changed our mind? When we've changed our mind, we will change our direction. Let's say I am traveling from here to Pullman in a couple of weeks to go to my grandson's graduation. And I decide not to use my GPS or a map. I'm going to go from memory because I've been there a few times. And we're headed down the road, and I see a sign that says Spokane, 15 miles. Okay, obviously, <clears throat> I have gone the wrong direction. Now, I need to change my mind, don't I? I was thinking this was the right road. I now need to change my mind and say it is the wrong road. Now, if I keep going the way I'm going, I really haven't changed my mind, have I? No, if I've truly changed my mind, I'm going to pull over and turn around, stop and ask my wife where to go. Okay? That would really be changing my mind. <laughs> uh. If we don't have a change in direction, we haven't had a change in mind. Okay? We have not repented. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. A great verse. I wish I could expound on just this one verse because a lot of people get wrong. It says, For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. It talks about two kinds of sorrow here. A godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow. A godly sorrow leads to repentance, a change of mind resulting in a change in direction. A worldly sorrow produces death. Worldly sorrow is what we call guilt. Okay? Guilt doesn't do anything constructive. I used to pastor a church, and forgive me for stereotyping, okay? But the church was made up of mostly Italians, okay? A lot of Italians. They did not greet one another with a friendly handshake. It was a hug and kiss. I mean, it was almost an orgy, you know, every time we went to church. I mean, they, these were the most demonstrative people in the world. And of course, I'm a very stoic German, you know. How are you? To, no, boom, you know. Why did I say that? <laughs> oh, yes. Here we go. <laughs> Guilt trips. Okay. Those ladies, some of those ladies in the church had gotten guilt tripping down to a science, okay? When they wanted something, they would put people on guilt trips to get, try to get their way, 
And it usually had just the opposite effect, at least it did with me. I, you can't guilt trip me. You start guilt tripping me, I'm, I'm going to do the opposite, at least passive-aggressive behavior, you know, if I can. Guilt does not accomplish anything good. Godly sorrow does. What's godly sorrow? Well, we know sorrow is a sense of loss, right? When we lose a family member that we love, we, we experience sorrow. Godly sorrow is a godly sense of loss, or what I have lost in my godliness, i.e., the fruit of the Spirit, because Satan has robbed me of what God wants to give me. When I realize what I have lost, that is what leads to repentance. Repentance leads to salvation. And the word salvation here is not salvation from the penalty of sin. Rather, it's salvation from the pen or the power of sin in my life. It's a deliverance from the power. So godly sorrow produces repentance leading to deliverance from the sin. We need to change our mind about a lot of things that Satan has used to build strongholds in our minds. And again, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to seize control of our mind as we read the Word of God and change our mind, repent against these lies of Satan. And then number four, we need to be renewed. Be renewed. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Notice this is a prayer, isn't it? This is a prayer. It's a, it's, it's a prayer we need to pray. We, we need to have our hearts renewed by the truth of God's word. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. God does not want to reform us. He wants to renew us. He doesn't want to make us just look better. He wants us to become better. He wants us to become the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly, not just a prettier caterpillar. God's not just interested in patching up the holes in our life. He wants to make us new. These four R's recognize the lies of Satan. Take responsibility for them. Repent and be renewed. We're going to use these four R's each week as we look at seven strongholds of Satan in the week to come. I believe God is committed to this process within each one of us. This is something God wants to have happen in every single believer's life. The question is, are we willing to let his power do that work within us? And that is a question that is so easy to say yes to right now, but in the weeks to come, you might find it becomes more difficult to say yes to. 
as God points out some of our secret and enjoyed sins in our life. Let's pray.